calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome back to EXPN, The Experience, your only source for up-to-date coverage of the League of Ultimate Questing. I'm your host, Warren Rustborough, and with me as always is the amazing automaton, Page Theta Row. You know, Warren, lately I've been pondering the nature of the self. I see we're kicking things off with a bit of light-hearted banter before we move on to more serious topics. You jest, but in the face of the new face of Penelope Farthing, I can't help but wonder what became of the disparate pages of the cosmic narrative of which I was once a part. You rarely speak of your experience as a plural being. I can't imagine what that must have been like. In truth, from all accounts, not unlike a singular. I suspect there is much woo-hoo nonsense around the subject of singulars. The only real difference is that I was connected, very much unconsciously, to a vast and all-encompassing order, a sense of rightness and certainty. My actions were always my own, but I was ensconced in a comforting and velvety absolutism, which made choices outside of its bounds feel cold and terrifying. I imagine it's not unlike the goose knobs that the flesh beasts get when faced with the horror of turning off the hot water in the morning and stepping out into the cold, dry nightmare of their day. So being plural is, at least as far as choices, motivation, and intention go, like a kind of mental wound wherein disruptive actions threaten contractions, leading ultimately to expulsion. I suppose you could say you were figuratively birthed by the cosmic order into the cold, dry nightmare of an entirely singular existence. Exactly. If you're using a pulsating fat lump to imagine the concept and squeezing air from a tube of meat to perform some kind of violent sonic telepathy, that's exactly how I would describe it. I'm glad I could approximate the grandeur of your greater purpose, Paige. You did your best, as did the battle standard. And like those edgy do-wrongs, your actions have little consequence. Ha! It would seem you're right, Paige. Despite the apparent criminality of the standard's actions, their team filed all the appropriate paperwork, and the quest was provided by their administrator, Glenn Armistice, dean and founder of the Academy of Adventuring Arts, better known as the AAA. In fact, the broken court of Kenuit appears to have no interest in pressing what little charges they're entitled to. Well, after the wholesale nut-stomping given to their poster boy and the embarrassing revelation that their prize, the Wild Heart, was in fact illusory, it's no wonder the spokespeople of Kinuit already feel a sense of closure. And speaking of closure, public attention is already turning away from the fallow crown and onto the gutter snipes. These private dicks are buried in a sticky one, anxious, angry, and aroused. Can they stroke their tensions, or will they simply begin blasting? Let's find out. Good lords, Paige. 
The gutter snipes are deep in a subterranean spider's nest and they're realizing the spiders can communicate but aren't sure if they're hostile. First of all, no one says arouse to mean anything but sexual arousal. Oh. Oh, I see. Dirk told me to try that one and I couldn't resist. I would guess you're blushing, but your beautifully basalt flesh ensures such a shift in hues will never be public knowledge. Let's just get back to the room. We are not the word, nor the wind, not the stag, stone, or sky. We are the fury, we are the passion, the caprice and the tears they cry. You are awash in the stench of death. Myriad mirrors dance before your eyes as every penny, every fay whose fate is tied to your own, begins to fall. From the furtive root whisper, which cradles lost children, to the high graders haunt, stalking the claim poachers of the gilded gully. All that you are festers and rots from a wound they can scarce recall. A woman, not a fawn, her skin black as night shimmers with crystalline stars. She walks strange tools across charts of the cosmos as the corruption spreads through her body from a cut in her side. A satyr dances along the cliff face with grace and beauty. Her sure feet falter as a new wound cuts deep. She falls to the rocks whom she loved so dearly, but they show no love for her as they cradle her broken form. Red-orange skin shines with sweat, but not that of love. Her flesh flush, but not with passion. Fever takes her as her devilkin try and fail to bring the healing ecstasy and blessed sin to her heart. A dark, rank tower crumbles and drips. Weathered hooves wear steady grooves in the cobbles as something waits for freedom. For gouged in the door, which cannot be opened, is a wound which cannot be healed. A foul thing sniffs at the spreading cracks and licks her lips in anticipation. Oh, must I... So that all might live. Do you accept the Concord? So it's been you. It's been you this whole time. The one that I've felt behind my heart from the moment I plucked the sword and the shield. I was there long before. Who are you? Soon, I will be you. And, and what if I refuse? Die. At least tell me your name. You have always known it. Arsenicos. The devils of the blessed rapture weep as their daughter breathes her last. In the distance, the lowing of a stag can be heard as the seminal tears of Baynad the Allsire fall thick to the belly of Ahasha, the god-queen of the rapture entwined. The seed drifts ethereal through flesh to find home. A frantic hush falls on the bereaved as they witness the first greater rapture since time immemorial. The god-queen quickens before their eyes. 
her belly swelling with child as she writhes and moans. Yet the child does not crown as the nascent might. Instead, a crown of antlers bursts through her viscera. Ecstasy overtakes the witnesses to the greater rapture, as their child is born anew in the gore of her mother. Splinters of shattered bone dry and jagged cuts as the last of the satyr's lifeblood seeps into the heart of the mountain. Hoofbeats rattle through the canyons. Blood falls deeper into the mother mountain. Stones rumble and crumble as something makes its way to the surface. In the distance can be heard the cries of the mountain kin. The bleats and crows of those that dwell on high rise to a crescendo as a fault block erupts from the earth. Carven into the smooth face of the deep stone is a likeness of the satyr whose body has already begun to decay below. Every detail immaculate, save for the antlers atop her head. With a thunderous crack, the simulacrum leaps from the mountain as stone resolves into flesh. A black scar mars the greater sight of the star prophet. As the light begins to shine through her wound, the stars of her skin fade to black, and she falls. Her basalt flesh crumbles, breaks, and turns to sand as the last of her twinkling light is borne aloft, is borne aloft on a western wind. It is long eons which stand between the prophets and their final reward, yet as the star shards which once dappled the flesh of the latest daughter of the order rise on the winds, a constellation takes its place among the eternal watchers, a rampant stag staring down upon the starlit covenant, before falling to the earth like a child's wish. Black basalt antlers rise first from the smoldering wreckage of the celestial body. A night-black hand reaches into the molten metal of the fallen star and draws from it the staff of the High Seer. Deep in the space between spaces, and the silence at the heart of all silence, there lies a tower, where the spirit of the dark wood thrashes in its eternal perdition. A crack in a door which cannot be opened, must not be opened, begins to spread, and the dry rasp of an ancient throat clatters across the stones of a crumbling prison. The hardwood yearns to live in light, the darkwood yearns to spread, but hearts are weak and prone to blight, with darkness there instead. Penelope Farthing stands triumphant among the aftermath. Ophidian Ashpool defeated, his teammates fallen, and the fallow crown victorious. Before Wusha allows himself to revel in victory here, before he feels good about it, He's going to lean down over where Ashpool is, narrow his eyes, and say, I ain't no god's damn pirate. Put a finger to one of his nostrils and broadside him with a snot cannon. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> mm. Really got to drive the point home. It's even worse than a teabag. <laughs> the old so, snot rocket. <laughs> I know that I healed Ophidian during the fight, but is there any like fresh Ophidian blood still around? Splashes here and there. Penny doesn't make a big show of it, but she dips a couple of fingers into some fresh fallen blood from Ophidian, lifts it to her nostrils, and breathes deep. It smells of corruption and the musk of a predator. For a moment, Penny hesitates, as if she's about to touch the blood to her lips. But then, with a grimace of distaste, she wipes it on her sword. Iavos goes to the uh, floor manager of the casino. 
you see a person standing in the corner of the room. They are wearing what looks like a heart badge with blades stuck into it. And they just seem completely taken aback. They are a tabaxi with quivering whiskers, and they are looking at the fallen tabaxi with quite a bit of hatred. Mm. I was just covered in alchemical acid and gashes and burns. <laughs> I think our work here is done. He scratches at the back of his tabby head and, um, yes, I'd say so. Uh, uh, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, ooh, bar fights are normal, but this isn't a bar fight. Uh, he looks around and raises his hand. <laughs> Still requires a cleanup crew. He then turns the raised hand into a clap and draws the attention of as many creatures around as possible. Dozens of fae crawl up and begin cleaning up the blood, putting it together into a pile, all of the members of the battle standard. And as they do this, you see the Grimalkin start to crawl out from the shadows, trying to get what blood they can. Oh, hungry kitties. Ayavos is right. The quest is over. They shouldn't give you any more trouble once they awake. Is everyone okay? Does anyone need healing? Yes, it's time for a head count and check-in. Wuxia, with some pretty deep and heavy wounds, pulls himself back over the bar he was just leaning over with a bottle of whatever alcohol he could get his hands on and walks back toward the rest of the crew and he says, I think once this is empty, you'll be all right. Good. Ayavos begins his natural work of looking over the bodies and checking the injuries. And as he studies Penny, he looks into her eyes, higher up than they used to be, to his height, up and down, looking at the abdomen where the corrupted wound once was. What you find different from the last few minutes with Penny is that her eyes are no longer glowing green. They're once again golden, though her eyes and her face are different than you remember, like a different person. As Ayavos is studying Penny, he pulls out his father's spectacles and places them high on his nose. It's very fine to meet you. Penny simply gives you a knowing nod. I'll just tend to the wounds. As you do this, you hear the padding of heavy feet. Gilder crawls from the shadows and walks toward you. I look from Penny to Gilder with a concerned look and then back to Penny. He smiles his too wide smile. You've all done very well. Penny bows her head out of respect. Thank you, your highness. Oh, stop with that. Your highness? I am the Ketchi. The king of cats. Oh. In case you couldn't tell. That's quite the domain. I didn't know cats had a king. Oh, they do. I'm surprised that I never noticed before. Do other animals have a king? Do birds have a king? No, not birds. Yeah, they're way more democratic. Snails do, though. Oh, even wet ones. Especially the wet ones. Oh, my. No one likes a dry snail. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to each court of beasts to determine their own manner of democracy. The fish count as beasts. That's a good question. I might have some apologizing to that kingdom to do. Oh, careful what you say to rats. I ain't never care much for rats anyway. Believe me, neither do I. No good. You find them in your food too often, you grow a distaste for them. Anyway, you have to understand that with the moving of the wild heart, the rest of the court is indisposed. 
Was it always safe, then, if this one was illusory? No, we had to move it. We didn't want to. It's a vulnerable time for us now. We would appreciate it if you would remain in our company until they have remanifested. Of course, your highness. You need to stop. Please. It's embarrassing. Well, crew goes as one if you stay, I stay. Yes, I suppose there's no harm in it. This place is more entertaining than our home. I would imagine so. He looks around, or at least it would be if you hadn't scared everybody off, but I guess that was the point. Yes, thank you again for arranging the cake. It was a good touch. I'm always a fan of the theatrical. Well, as your lieges are in a vulnerable state, it seems so too is the fallow crown, looking to Penny and the bandaged and half-drunk Wusha. <laughs> and how is Gaspar? Gasp, Gaspar? Are you still hiding? The fight's over! I thought you knew where he was. I... Seems every time I turn my back, one of my allies vanishes. I lost track of him. I was fighting Ophidian beneath the balcony where he went. The Ketchi turns to a collection of Grimalkin gestures with its head, and they all scatter. His head's gone. Maybe the rest of him's gone there, too. You seem to know where he is. I certainly don't. No, not at all. I, he was here a second ago. Look up to the balcony where he was hiding and sniping. Gone. I listen closely to one of the bells on my necklace. Nothing. Well, at least he's safe. Oh, Gaspar, what have you gotten yourself into? Speaking of safe, Yavos, I never seen an old man take quite the thrashing you did, and I'm deeply impressed. Well, the new armor certainly helped quite a bit, but uh, it seemed that they were more interested in trying to take down you as the aggressors. Gave me more time to weave some devious magic to slow them down. Well, whatever you did worked like a charm. Here, yearned it. And I hand him the half-drank bottle of whatever the hell I found behind the bar. I wipe off the lip with my robes. There's like probably a piece of lip stuck to it. Oh, definitely. <laughs> a whisper of old mustache deeply missed. <laughs> whisper of mustache. Um... <laughs> And I'll just, you know, take a nice little schlug. I almost has never been opposed to libations. He grabbed a Midori for some reason, oh, and it's no. very unloved. No. <laughs> I mean, uh, Ben, looks like the storm's worn away the rock and showed what's underneath, huh? Yes. I think you could say that, Wusha. Well, I like it. I'm glad to hear that. We'll see if everyone else shares the same sentiment. I ain't never seen my, uh... Deep magics work together with someone else's like that before, and we're a frightening pair, you and I. Oh, yes. That was a very satisfying hunt. Truly was. Gilda, you want us to stay in your domain for the time being, which is fine, but could we have a private room shared and not separate? It seems we keep vanishing left and right. I'd like us to stay an eyeline of each other. That can absolutely be arranged. We have a suite available just for such an occasion. However, I would ask that after you've gone and cleaned yourself up a bit and maybe found some nice duds, if you would join me for dinner this evening. No doubt we should talk about your companion. Any gestures to Benny? I think the dinner table is the perfect place for such truths. I could eat. I haven't had a shrimp in minutes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Gilder pads away, speaking silently to the rest of the Grimalkin who scatter and continue about their work. Slowly, the staff returns to their jobs, cleaning up the aftermath of the fight between the Fallow Crown. So much frosting. <laughs> Many of the Fae have taken to sucking the frosting off of the various brass affixments. Mm. <laughs> I, I hate that so much. <laughs> The cleaning crew just comes and fucking sucks on the machines. Oh, God. Lick the carpet clean. <laughs> Sweet treats. It's okay. Uh, Fey Mouth is uh, cleaner than a human by far. Sure. I've heard that. <laughs> the battle like the cake ended in tears. <laughs> the aftermath is soon completely gone and forgotten. And you find yourselves in a shared room, not unlike the one you saw before, though this one with less of a nature theme and with a decidedly more gilded tone. Gold is everywhere, intermixed with silver in places with filigree carved deep. And an overwhelming amount of black seeming to contrast the brightness of the gold. Caspar hmm. would have loved this room. All of your possessions have been brought in and you have been given a catalog depicting various uh, elegant clothing. For your upcoming dinner. Iavos will go to one of the back rooms by himself, awkwardly avoiding eye contact with Penny and Wusha, seeming mistrusting of everything around him at the time. It's not hard to avoid contact with your boy Wusha because he is nose deep in that catalog, picking his outfit for later. Nice. Penny folds up the blanket that Iavos gave her and sets it on the nearby table, along with the kelp bow and the Penny from Gaspar. She sits quietly, stroking the shield of Zelos. It lets out a metallic thrum as your fingerprints gently glide across its smooth surface. It is no longer tarnished, and it doesn't seem to want to be. She smiles softly to it. You know, Wusha, I used to feel like I heard the voice from it, or a song but now I hear it from within myself. It's a, it's a powerful voice to listen to. I know what it's like to have something singing within you. Your connection to the sea. Do you ever hear its voice? Wusha reaches into his bags and pouches and pulls out an old, chipped and damaged conch shell and puts it up to his ear and says, The further I am, from Mother Sea, the louder I hear her call. She grows peaceful when I'm nearby. I put the conch shell down and say, but I do get to hear her song every time someone says my name. What a beautiful sentiment. For me, the beating of my heart is like a war drum. In the moving of blood, I hear the song of the hunt. Oh, and it excites me so. You, uh, ever think about taking on a new title, new name, now that you got a new body? Allowing it to choose who you are. I was considering that. Maybe not now, but you're right. The name Penny almost feels like it was chosen by someone else. And of course it was. Never my true name. Gaspar does not return. As the early afternoon wears on and night approaches, you realize none of you have heard from him. But you imagine the place you're about to go, you would not feel at home. 
you make your way through the halls to an upper floor of a Heshka and eventually find yourselves in a lavish restaurant. It is dimly lit, so much so, in fact, that only at each individual table do you see any meaningful light. All of the decoration is in the old Art Nouveau style, common to the rest of the casino, yet understated. There is no maitre d', no one to greet you, for the restaurant is empty, and in the center, in a large, broad stool, sits Gilder. What are you wearing, Wusha? Wusha comes up to the table and is confused about how to sit down, because he has never had to take a seat in such pantaloons before. (laughs) He is dressed like a fine Renaissance Italian dandy. What with Jacobean ruff and half cape and everything. The biggest feather in his hat that he could fit. <laughs> I, like, I like that he's an Italian dandy, but he's wearing a Jacobean ruff. Very good. Listen, <laughs> he's never been to Europe before. Each item from a different page of the catalog. <laughs> mm, not enough we, ruffles. I thought we were supposed to use the whole thing. <laughs> I, our people use every part of the jail dandy outfit. It's a Goliath you tradition. Use the whole catalog. <laughs> use every piece of the catalog. <laughs> strolls in with like nine LL Bean jackets. <laughs> one knee high and one calf high boot. I was thinking a different shoe from each page. Hell yeah. <laughs> Regular gloves, fingerless gloves. Penny, what are you wearing? Penny's look is basic but elegant. Back to something closer to her concept. It reminds everyone of the outfit she was wearing when she first arrived on Zenith, but instead of a simple dress of white linen, this one is silk. It's longer. There's a slit on the side. It's deeper cut. And she's adorned in a myriad of gold jewelry, much of it shaped like cascading grape leaves, and the brooch on her shoulder, which holds up the corner of her cape, is not a harp, but a shield. Hmm. And Iavos? Iavos is wearing a very simple but respectable outfit. Not unlike his normal robes, but a higher collar and pitch black with mild highlights of gold imitating that of the room, almost as though someone in mourning. I trust our headless friend is still not found. He's so good at hiding, I bet he's in the room somewhere right now. Normally I would have found him by now, but I suspect something is hiding him from me. I imagine if he wished to evade your seeking, he could do so well. These are his specialties. You are wrong about that. But what he serves... Hmm. Let's not waste time pondering it. Gaspar is a master of hiding things. Yes, he is. My concern isn't that he's in danger. My concern is that he knows exactly what he's doing. Enough of such grim things. Let's talk about you. More specifically, you, he turns to Penny. Nice look. Thank you. I'm I'm sure you all have many questions. I got one big one. Can I touch your new horns? By all means. <laughs> They're called antlers, you buffoon. How come you always have to rain on my parade? I thought you liked being wet. Good point. Reaching out and caressing Penny's antlers, your impressions are confirmed. 
They're larger, sharper, and instead of two points, they now bear three. No velvet anymore now, yeah? None. Now these are solid. Yes, I suspect that I could gore someone with them now. I suppose the question that I would ask would be why, but I know the answer. But it saddens me no less. Why do you think? To choose a life between being crumbling and broken, being new and sacred. It's an ultimatum that we only have one choice for. But loss is loss, and I feel it heavy in my heart. For what it's worth, Iavos, that moment in the wild heart, seconds that lasted an eternity, the old me, she pondered many things, and both her joys and her regrets. But in the end, she could not exist the way that she was. This uh, new form you got here, this new you, does it need anything else? Anything new from us or your environment around you? No. You could say that this penny, me, what we are doing now, I was made for it. Every time you say Penny or Iavos, it sounds so foreign to me. How many more times must I lose someone I give a piece of my heart to without getting to say farewell? Fate does not owe us the gift of a goodbye. You should know that better than anyone. What she wanted to tell you, Iavos, was that everything was going to be okay, and that she wasn't afraid. And what made her go in the end is that she knew she could, but if she said that, it would have been the first lie she ever told. I know she knew what she was doing. It's my fault for binding so much of myself to things I care about. I look forward to getting to know you and working professionally, doing this thing that we do. I'm so glad you're better at it now. I hope that one day, I can help to fill the hole in your heart. For what it's worth, I I have all of her memories. In a way, it feels like they belong to someone else, but if she had continued any other way, those would have been lost. Keshi. Yeah? What can you tell me about an old fay? Named Arsenicos. I would think you would be the expert now, but I imagine there's not much left of him. I think you are right. At least, not in the way he was. I still hear his voice, but it doesn't sound like someone else's voice. It sounds like my own. Arsenicos, from what I understand, mind you, I am not well versed in Eudemonia, is an embodiment of, I suppose, the singulars would call it masculinity. Passion, ambition, violence. He was once one of the pantheon of your world. But something changed. I suspect it has to do with the Darkwood. Was he corrupted then? Are you? No. Then I imagine not. I'm glad to hear it. The problem in dealing with plural things is they do not always make themselves known. Things cannot be written, they must be understood, and I understand only so much. 
viewing the world as I do through a keyhole, however large that keyhole might be, I am bound by limitations and the borders between things. You have to understand many worlds have been lost to the Darkwood, my home, the court's home. It cannot be said when, but the Shadowfell died. He says the words, Shadowfell, and they mean nothing to you. I know you've spoken of the Shadowfell before, but tell me again. What is it? I am one of the few who remember. It was a place of darkness, the counter to the Fae, the cruelty of nature, the caprice of death. But then it ended, and in its place, the Darkwood. The Darkwood destroyed it, then? This might be impossible to explain but rather that it supplanted it, replaced it. Hmm. Singulars have a tendency to describe time in linear fashion, and we, largely viewing our lives through their lenses, tend to do the same. But in the absence of singulars, time moves in waves, epochs which are delineated not by years, but by ideas. The idea of the Shadowfell ended, and the idea of the Darkwood was born. The Broken Court signed their contract here, suspecting that there might be some greater knowledge to the spread of this thing. This Darkwood, it has affected many planes then, it seems. More than I remember. In fact, every time I choose to recall, there are more gone. It makes me remember something. Is the Darkwood related in any way to the Blackwood of Iavos's home? I know nothing of Iavos's home. The things you describe are very similar. Familiar to me. The closer towards the heart of an unreachable forest you get, the less time exists. There is much and more of the idea of the Darkwood in much of our day-to-day lives. I suspect that anything that bears even passing resemblance might in some way or another be an element of it. I suspect that the Darkwood is in fact an abstract no more powerful or more impossible than any other. Whatever gods you worship, an abstract lurks behind it, and I suspect the Darkwood is simply a new one. So far, the greatest threat has been to the Fae. But your home may too one day fall, if it existed at all. It is a symbol, nothing more, just as you are now a symbol of what you are. We understand that you have your allegiances to your commissioner, your administration, but we hope that if you should learn anything about the Darkwood that you would report it to us. I have eyes everywhere, but they can only see so much. I give you my word, so long as it does not conflict with any of our other obligations, I will tell you everything I know. To be clear, looking at Gilder, almost a little seriously, our debt is paid regarding Penny's healing, yes? There's not some other kind of debt lingering in the air here. I assure you, her health was just as important to us as it was to you. That is an answer. What would you like to hear? That we will not expect that you owe us something? The deal was for Quinn. The Quinn is paid. I want to know what else we can expect. It seems we're all controlled by some kind of debt, and this place seems to be the pinnacle of such things. You're a tricky kitty. We don't work in ink and paper. We don't work in balance sheets, money, numbers. We work in facts, and in the end, 
whether or not you feel your debt is paid is not relevant to whether we feel your debt is paid. And if you should choose to ignore it, then, well, consequences may play out. Hmm. Terrifying to have a tax collector who has no paperwork or numbers. Yes, but unlike some debtors, we have your best interests at heart. We've simply met some of those who fell into debt with your people, and uh, it frightened me. I wish to not wander down that path if I can avoid it. Those people were in debt to themselves. To themselves? I'm going to need a minute to chew that one over. (laughs) I believe it's a metaphor for bad decisions. Oh. Speaking of bad decisions, maybe you should make some good ones tonight. No doubt you feel unusually arrested. As you look over yourselves, you do find that your injuries are mostly healed. You feel raw and tired, but no more so than you would have the next day. I suppose I've been so much in my own head I wasn't paying attention to the aches and cries of my body. I've been worked harder before. I feel stronger than I've ever felt in my life. Yes, yes, I'm sure you do. But the point being, we wanted to make sure that you could enjoy the opening of the night market, which begins this evening. At the stroke of midnight, you will find that there are numerous joys and delights in which for you to indulge. Not sure what kind of trading they do at this market. I'd still like to see it, but I don't know how much we can spend. Being our bookkeeper, I feel it's my job to tell you all this. He raises a single claw and taps a tureen that has been sitting in the center of the table this entire time. When he lifts it, there are three stacks of two quin. Call it... A gift. And a thank you. It is customary for us to get Queen rewards after doing a quest. It is very important that you do not report these, because it is very much illegal for us to give them to you. But we trust you to act in your own best interest. Wusha is going to recoil away from the coins on the table a little bit then and look carefully at Iavos and say, Do you mind uh, keeping all the mine? Not at all. Thanks. Nothing to fear, Wusha. They don't work in numbers and ledgers. I scoop them up. I hope that's true. I uh, wouldn't mind a night of shore leave, though. I'm going to give two of the six quin to Penelope. Penny weighs the heavy quin in her hand, and a hungry look crosses her eyes for a moment. I have long since done away with the need for food, but please, enjoy your meal. Even before the last word of that comes out, Wuxia is just hands in going at whatever is put in front of him. <laughs> He frantically look about, uh, hoping that there is some food on the table and realize there is only a menu, (laughs) as you have not ordered anything. (laughs) I'll eat the menu. (laughs) (laughs) Fey food is boring. (laughs) I shall leave you to yourselves. Please enjoy the night market. It will be the last one for some time. Gilder leans forward and drops down onto the ground and slinks not towards any exit, but merely disappears into the shadows. Hope you're feeling well. Mm. <clears throat> the crime was successful. The broken court feel themselves in our debt. I understand that wasn't the intent, but I'd much rather them owe us a favor than the other way around. This is good, I suppose. There is something else. As per the request of the Broken Court, I authorize a scouting mission to key Q4 in advance of similar missions I've planned for Lambda K20 and Epsilon F83. 
No need to hold back good news. Whatever realm was there is gone now. The material planes are intact, but... Goldrick? On the surface, everything's fine. Material readings are good. Everything's working as it should. Yet? And yet, things have never been worse. The kingdom of Exagius is collapsing. The neighboring Transic Empire is preparing for war. Two distinct plagues have presented themselves and are ravaging the populace. The beasts have turned on their keepers. It was subtle at first, but now... Whatever cosmic balance this plane held is shifting wildly. In short... Chaos. Exactly. But it's not the end of the world, so to speak, though it probably feels like it to them. But I've never seen this kind of violent imbalance without the axial planes being at war. And what of them? This sphere's axial planes align themselves along what they call the High Road. Which is really just a portion of the ethereal plane made manifest through the thought forms of the petitioners. The dead walk the road, purging their sins and petitioning at the gates of the axial planes. If they should fall under their own weight, or if none should take them, they return to the material plane to be reborn. So far as we can tell, there's absolutely no conflict between these planes. No turmoil. Nothing. In fact, we attempted to contact one of their greater plurals. Pardon my interruption, but who authorized this? I did, Sensei. We needed to know what they know. Understood. And? When we spoke, they seemed forthcoming, uh, helpful. It was a machine god of their plane of law. An entity of ingenuity and discovery. Perfect for us being scientists. I actually think I might change my family altar to make room for them. Lane? He... he didn't even realize that Fairy had been destroyed. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Introducing the new Lachey G120 Luxury Wagon. Polished black cherry wood body. Cutting edge 24 spoke wheels with folded steel boxing. New safety renovated hub flanges. Elegance and functionality. Make a statement when you pull up to the tavern. Whether you're hauling radishes or transporting gear to slay the dragon, you know you'll have reliability with Lachey G120 Luxury Wagon. Available in one or two horsepower. Don't let your travels wane. Use Lachey. Hey, all you cuties. There ain't room enough in this mid-roll for the both of us. I'm just kidding, there's loads of room. Hop on in. The water's acceptable. First off, for those of you familiar with our Patreon format, I need to take a moment to thank our very first ever commissioner-level patron. Jackson Hurley, you are the first. 
thank you so much. Even if it won't last like you've told us, we're still ecstatic to get to check this achievement off of our podcasting bucket list. Supporting us on Patreon is a great way to make sure the show keeps funding to be hosted, pay for equipment, pay actors, and of course, pay the hardest working Ediger in showbiz. We love you, Ediger. You can make a character for D&D to join the show meta at the highest tiers and also gain access to all the lower tier rewards, including all of the amazing new maps from Golden Stylus for Season 2. If you haven't checked them out yet, you really have to. You can also join a legendary mid-roll team and get thanked by name each week your team comes up. Our current legendary mid-roll teams are the Titans Rise, the Forgotten Legacy, the Ceaseless Horde, and this week's featured team, the Twilight Concord, with Eerie Luna Rose, Maisie, Korgoth, and Mike Gordon. As always, to get a personal message read on the show or for possible advertising opportunities, reach out to admin at slapdashstudios.com. Take a minute and follow us on Twitch at Slapdash Streams for Monday night live premieres of the LUQ hosted by Dungeon Mistress Dana, Wednesday night cooperative Pokemon Nuzlocks with me and Zach, and Penny plays on Thursday with so much more during the week. We love interacting and chatting with the fans while we play games and act like goofballs. I've updated a few sections of the website, and I've added the Baba Java t-shirts you requested to the merch page. So if you've been waiting, now's your chance. I love you all very much. But seriously, join us for the live premieres on Twitch every Monday. There's so much fun, we do Q&As, and it's just a great community experience. And this week we'll be featuring a very special preview for a future project at the end. It's very hush-hush. If you're in chat right now hearing this, go nuts! But that's enough out of me, let's get you back to the battle axes. I've been called a great many things in my life. Charlotte, floozy, harlot, tart, slatten, fornicatress. But one thing I ain't never been called is smelly. I'm an hard-working girl. Another day, another notch in me bodice. But I always have time to beflower my flowers. It's easy thanks to Real Winch's body wash. That's B-A-W-D-Y, a strumpet's best friend. Comes in a liquid, powder, bar, or even aerosol. It's always ready to blast away your full-time mink stinks. It don't matter how smelly the John or salty the sailor, I always feel like a goddess. Keeps me under Chelsea, fresh and clean as a butcher's block, and me girls glowing and smooth like a cheese wheel. It's easy, but not cheap, just like me. Be the freshest and hardest to get coquette with Lil Wench's body wash. Kills 38% of lice and fungus and sanitizes with the power of ethanol and lye. Gilded trees bearing bright golden fruits line the pathways which weave through the Kinuant night market. Stands and stalls, tents and pavilions mark the banks of the river of bodies which pump like blood toward the heart of it all. A stage, dressed in forest scene, as two elven lovers perform interpretive dance to ethereal music. You enter the throng and your eyes drift to the goods and services on offer. One of twelve arms extends from a woman with coal-black skin to tap you on the shoulder. The hand opens to reveal a mouth which offers a soul cleanse, guaranteed to improve cosmic alignment by 20%, for only a quarter quin or a totem of heartbreak. A sentient teacup offers a collection of his own kin, with saucers arrayed in a semicircle. On each is an ornate depiction of a scene, a spring festival where maidens encircle a maypole, the great harvest of a wheat field, orange leaves in the distance burning like fire in the autumn wind. 
a hearth scene, snow collecting on a windowsill, a fire roaring and crackling. As you view these works, the cups begin to fill with hot beverages common to their scene. Hot cherry blossom tea, a thickly spiced champurado, a rich and fragrant cocoa. An oak tree with the face of a man carved into his trunk boasts the greatest weapons in all the cosmos. While his limbs hammer and quench a length of silvered steel, he promises blades which cut through memories, mauls which hammer out character flaws, nets to ensure the undivided attention of those they touch, and caltrops which instill overwhelming empathy for all life. What, I wonder, do you find here? Wuxia's attention, as per usual, even after gorging himself at dinner and like he did with the catalog, ordering one of uh, something of every page of the menu, Mm -hmm. he's a big boy. He's still pretty hungry, and there is one place offering snacks that he is very much excited about, even after seeing the beverages and definitely wanting to slug down that uh, hot cocoa. There's a small, almost petting zoo-like place that's offering a free-range, farm-fresh snacking experience. (laughs) A hag with leathered and wrinkled skin is dressed in a Little Bo Peep-esque bonnet and dress with a curved staff beckoning people in. Ulsura smiles and says, Eat like you've never eaten before. Come and taste how fresh my goods are. Without hesitation, Wuxia will head toward it and say, Oh, me, me, me. Ulsura will then briefly touch Wuxia on the forehead with the staff, turn him into a goat, and push him into the petting zoo. What kind of a dumb D&D character would turn into a goat? (laughs) Sorry, season one throwback. I apologize. He'll happily sit and eat fresh grass. (laughs) Only the freshest. Only the freshest. After just chewing away on nascent nubs of various grasses and weeds, you find yourself fit to burst with nettles before suddenly you pop back into humanity or some semblance of it. Belly practically ready to burst. (laughs) Oh, you should really try this. Uh, No offense. I've had yard clippings before, and they're not delicious. Ah, you see, the four stomachs will fuse to one once you are done processing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that voice so much. Thank you. (laughs) Wonderful. Iavos is still somewhat pensive and contemplating the things that have happened over the past 24 hours. But he is delighted by some of these new experiences. Something about a farmer's market has always felt very personal to him. He enjoys the smells of some of the exotic foods and the sight of some of these whimsical creatures at play. Um, And he notices coming out of one of the large trees that flanks the market, just a wall of damp soil climbing upward. And from the surface of it is sprouting every facsimile of mushroom in different sizes. And in front of it is their wagon riding ant master friend from before the mushroom man. And, uh, I eagerly moves over to his stall, having promised to say hello to him. Ah, we meet again, my friend. Oh, I How are you doing? Very well. Things have changed a lot, but I'm doing well. Well, I'm sure I got a mushroom for that. I have come seeking mushrooms indeed. Um, I would like to purchase several mushrooms uh, by the pound to use in stews and cooking. And then leaning in very close. And I would like to seek a few of your most 
reserved mushrooms for finding a bit of sleep here and there. How wild are you looking to get? As calm as possible. Oh, that's a shame. To some. Well, I think I've got a fair number of things that you could use pretty well for a good night's sleep. Um, oh yeah, uh, do you want me to just chef's choice or? Yes, plan for more dosage than you would assume I would need. All right, that sounds about right for me. He wanders off and starts picking through a series of drawers. Inside of each drawer, you see what looks like flats of wood with things growing out of them. Some of these mushrooms don't look like mushrooms at all. They almost look like trees growing from it. And as he opens them, they spurt out little bursts of spores. He finds some that are long and hanging that look like fingers reaching out from the tree branch. Eventually, he finds what he was looking for. He comes back with several bags. He sets them down on the table, one that looks kind of like morals, but instead of having the black inside, they seem to have a bright, vibrant blue, like a mm. night sky. Now, these ones are going to do what you're looking for, that nice big long nap. The rest of these are just for eating. Wonderful. And uh, this here plank, if left in a cold, wet space, might suddenly manifest something else. Oh, maybe I'll have Wusha carry it. He gives you a very <laughs> obvious wink. I will look into this. Thank you. Hey, what do I owe you? Oh, uh, I suppose if you got a poem or a song for me, that'd be great. Uh, perhaps a short tale about my sister. Ooh, I like family. The second child, the joy of youth, yet eldest in her waking mind. She knows the future and the past, and sees each object's fate entwined. The earth is dry around the farm, but in the yard she tends a plot, where herbs and flowers can be found. She brings life to this sacred spot. She will dissect to find the truth and make a note each time she learns. And if a secret can't be seen, into the hearth, the note she burns. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's weird. The way you tend to your... We ain't never felt something like that before. Oh, well, no big deal. Definitely worth it, though. I feel something new as well every time it comes to me. Well, what about the rest of you? I hadn't thought about no buying no mushrooms here, but I'm not opposed to it. You got any that, uh, hmm. Well, you don't have the best uh, understanding of things. You got any of those what make my mind a bit sharper? What kind of sharp are you looking for? Feel like your brain's poking out your skull? No, that, that, nope, not that. Sharp like, uh... Sharp like in sharp. Sharp like a, like a, hmm. Sharp like a good hook. So, yes, like it's taking out your skull. Do you mean smarter? Oh, that's the one. Oh, you want to be smarter? I can do you smarter. Oi, oi. He goes fishing around and he pulls something out that genuinely looks like a brain on a stalk. Ooh. He hands you four of them. Oh, that'll be one quin. Eat those bad boys and you'll be smarter for an hour. I'm going to look at Iavos. Is it worth it? Oh, God, yes. All right. <laughs> I will use one of the Quinn and exchange it in, ex in place of Wusha. <laughs> I'll be smart as a tuna. <laughs> <laughs> Brainy like coral. All right. Penelope eyes Iovos's prize. Be careful with that. If you eat too many of those, then you will sleep until you're awakened by true love's kiss. Never heard that. Certainly hope no one kisses me while I'm sleeping. That sounds horrible. He wakes up and a bowl of stews just sitting on his face. 
face down. <laughs> a clown pie of borscht. <laughs> the point of the mushroom, the brain mushrooms I just got. Ben, these ones do. Oh, no. I don't really think that you're in danger of ODing on those. Well, that's not quite true. Don't eat them all. Considering you just got like mushroom Adderall, you're probably not going to fall asleep on one. <laughs> Don't you tell me what to do. Maybe I want to be smart, sleepy, and smooched. <laughs> so tell me, my friend, do you have any mushrooms that hmm, might help someone like me connect to their purest concept? Hmm. Well, mind you, I do. But all you'd imagine, you might want to try that all on your own. You're right. I should figure that out for myself first. Maybe I'll see you again in the future. All right. You'll have a good one now. You're, you're clogging up my stall. I'm going to let out a, a grassy burp. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Penelope takes Iavos's arm. I am visibly caught off guard by this. <sighs> oh. Wasn't expecting that. I'm I'm sorry. I hope that you and I can be friends. Yes. Yes, I hope so too. But these things take time. I don't really know what I like or dislike anymore. Would you like to go try some food with me? To taste, certainly. But I'm quite full from dinner. Despite the fact that during dinner, all Iavos did was silently play a game of food chess on his own plate, moving <laughs> ingredients from one spot to another. Oh. Penny leads you to a variety of different stalls and um, just tries a few different things. First, a tea of lavender and calamondin. She sighs and drinks it deeply, seeming to enjoy it. Next, a cup of cocoa. Her face grimaces, and she hands the remainder to a passing fay. What looks like an octopus turned upside down with a flower coming out of its beak kind of undulates by, and it's reaching, grasping tentacles. Pull the tea out, pour it down into the beak, hand the cup back to you, and just keeps crawling along. A friend of yours, Wusha. We'll be soon. <laughs> Penny proceeds like this, trying many different things and discovering which she the new her, enjoys. When she does find sort of a kebab of unknown meat, she tastes it and her eyes light up. She asks for another, but less cooked this time. And again, and finally one that's rare, just charred heavily on the edges. That one she seems to like best of all. As Penny finds a food that satisfies her deeply, Iavos catches a whiff of something in the air and almost unknowingly grabs these two by their shoulders and pulls them along with him towards the smell, almost floating in the air like a cartoon character. <laughs> and uh, you find a wide open stall with a low, dark canopy. And in the center is a roaring fire surrounded by brass tripods holding up a massive copper pot. And standing over it, on a tall stool is a short figure, maybe two feet tall, covered in not animalistic red hair, but just the red hair of a very hairy man. <laughs> a shock of red hair atop his head, a crescent moon of a nose, wearing nothing but a rabbit fur apron. And he seems to be stirring the pot, but he has no spoon. He's simply moving his hands back and forth 
and the contents inside is swirling. And around him are very simple shelves covered with bottles, labeled with full sentences of information on each bottle. Things that are not ingredients, but more conceptual. And he sniffs the air in turn as the party comes close. You smell like outsiders. How wonderful. Welcome to my stall. I am Asmurian, the Clerican, the Broth Weaver. <laughs> Many fay are bound to a source of liquid, as am I to the contents of this pot. But I seek guidance and aid in concocting the perfect stew. Will you not join me in its manifestation? Wusha looks more proud than you've ever seen him before and says, As I am deeply bound by a mysterious liquid, boy howdy shall I. <laughs> then I will call upon you each to add ingredient personal and beloved to yourselves. But with them must come the verse that makes the stew complete. I will get you started. And he sizes each of us up, gets a feel for us, grabs a few bottles off of the shelf, and begins to add them. We start our stew with a copper pot, for we are fey now, are we not? We feed the flames with breath and sticks, and now begin a sacred mix. A dash of oil, a pinch of lard, a question asked, both cruel and hard. Stir in a dream you can't recall and simmer till the autumns fall. The salt of tears from lavers lost, a foggy breath from winter's frost, a cup of kisses in the dark, a sprig of flowers from the park, a view from childhood window pane, a dash or two of your true name. What items next will bless the pot? Step up and show us what you've got. Mm. Wusha will reach behind his knee. Not his peg leg, but his good knee. And will pry away a single hermit crab that he gives a tiny little kiss to and then throws in the pot. Says, toss in a friend from where I roam. Let me, a crab born from sea foam. In his claws, he holds direction. Or maybe tide or weather detection. Whatever the hell my buddy's known, he's always found the path to home. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, Iavos eagerly eyes all of the labels on the bottles and begins grabbing them and stuffing them into his pockets to get ready. And uh, he hovers over the pot, adding them as the Disney sorcerer. <laughs> the smell of earth and tended soil. The gentle ache of muscles toiled. The smell of mother's baking bread. The comfort of a well-used bed. Glancing up at Penelope. The memory of friends we lost, and new ones gained, despite the cost. And adding a few more drips and drops from different vials and returning them to the shelf. Penelope doesn't meet Iovos's eyes as he references her and her past self, but she approaches the pot, and her eyes begin to glitter gold. For her additions are a little less material. The one last tear she left behind. Toss in this one last bardic rhyme. Too much nostalgia may taste stale. 
so add a dash of hopeful tales. A pinch of heart's uncertain ken. It's notes copper and cinnamon. Getting back to his conductor's position of the stew, as Murican the Clerican begins adding the final steps to the stew. One final step, one final verse. Stir slow and watch the gifts disperse. Simmer till the very end. Breathe deep aromas from the sand. A dish unique to us, dear friends, and never made the same again. The past and future we may regret, but the flavor we cannot forget. And somehow he manages to fit the entire contents of the pot with a ladle into four small bowls, which he hands out and takes one for himself. He holds his bowl skyward like a shot glass and tips it to his lips. Iavos cautiously does the same, eating a little more politely, but no spoons here. Usha hesitates for just a moment and looks at Penny and Iavos and says, My bilge is a bit full of yard tech right now. <laughs> Fine need. Can you roll me back home? Always room for a little stew, Gusha. Mm. <laughs> Let's see. Gusha will do the same. And with great trepidation, drink down the contents of the bowl. Penelope as well joins her friends. And it tastes like a strange stabbing pain of memories, comforts, confusions, some experiences you've never lived through, but feeling through the eyes of another. It doesn't fill your belly. It's almost gone instantly as a material but the flavor lingers in your mouth and in your mind. And everyone who participated in the magical stew at some point in the future gets one free death save passed. Ooh. Mm-hmm. A tiny, tiny little apertif of character bonus. The taste of distant memories still heavy on your tongue guides you through the throng of the Fay night market when a flash of something catches your eye, particularly Penny. An ancient crone holds aloft a tarnished silver lantern. A small crescent moon shines out in the nightlight from the crystal panes which bind it. Tattered rags of indigo and violet swirl and dance in the dim light of the alley as she leads you, with total certainty of your approach, to a tent whose mottled aubergine flesh reflects the night sky above. Why does this feel like the place to be? I ain't never been one to question push and pull before. Penny says nothing, but her arm disentangles from Iavos's, and her hand finds his as she moves into the alley. Through the sheets which separate the long road from the roving home, you find rustic decor. Old yet sturdy woods of pale cream compose the skeletons of the furniture, and across every surface, moth-eaten velvets of deepest black are strewn with crystals, geodes, and strange mechanical devices. Astrolabe compasses whose needles flow freely in three dimensions. All of these directional tools snap to attention, their indicators locking on to the Fay who stands before them. A gnarled hand pulls back a filigreed violet hood, revealing the moonlit crags of a lunar surface pitted and carven by time, in whose deepest craters are set bright sapphires which flash with devilish hunger. The crone gestures for Penny to sit. Separating from her companions, Penny slowly descends into the seat, looking deep into the sapphire eyes. The crone reaches into her robes and produces a deck of cards. 
She holds up a single finger, waiting for your approval. Avos gripped the quill staff tightly and nervously. Penny's hand finds the deck. She lifts it up and begins to cut, to shuffle, to move them around, to find their edges and instinctively reassemble them. She places the deck before the crone. She extends an old gnarled hand, draws a single card, and lays it down. The tower, upright, but in the image, there is a crack which runs the length of it. Change, upheaval, chaos. You have no conception of what you've done, do you? I don't yet see my future, no. But if I was not meant to change, then I'm not sure why my name was Penny. I can save us all. Give him to me. I can deliver us from the dark wood. Give what to you? Arsenicos. Her hands reach slowly out to your shield. In a flash, Penny's fingers are wrapped around the crone's wrist. I am Arsenicos. You need only sleep. And she waves her hand. Wusha. Salt spray whips your face. The sound of canvas sails thunders above the atmospheric explosion riding on the storm. Bloated hands clasp the gunwale as drowned ancestors crawl from a raging sea. Avos, a slow wind shakes the trees of a dark forest. Things that are not hounds can be heard in the dark. A rider comes, but not to save you. You feel a weight lifted from your shoulders. As a man, you feel you almost recognize Bears your father's sword aloft. With peace sown between the Aranea and the people of Underfold, the gutter snipes bid farewell to the Dark Elves and hello to some much-needed rest. You don't suppose that bringing the drow and the spiders together was, perhaps, a bad idea? I'm surprised at you, Paige. There are as many planes where the drow are neutral as good as evil. One's race does not dictate their morality. There are many planes where my people are a cruel and savage lot. What? No! Not because they're drow. Because they're freaking spiders. Paige... You're a mechanoid. What possible fear could creepy crawlies hold for you? Oh, I wonder. Let's see. Hairy carapace? Check. More legs than God? Check. Freaky deaky fang situation? Double check. Oh, yes. And of course, now they're huge and spin webs to trap unsuspecting mushroom hunters to be liquefied and slurped into the craziest of crazy straws. Check, check, and check, check, check. I respect arachnophobia, but they kill the bad pests. Without spiders, the fly population would be out of control. Oh no, not the flies. Let's move on. Sure thing. The Miss Zenith pageant is just around the corner, and the fans are getting restless. Normally I find the notion of pageantry absurd. Victory is obviously dictated by the sturdiness of their chassis. What's the point? I don't think sturdiness is a criteria for this particular contest. Oh, my poor naive little lord. 
I pray that you never learn the lascivious caprice of the pageant judges. Stay tuned for more coverage of the LUQ. I was not expecting that at the end. No, I wasn't sure what to expect inside this spookity tent. I get to be on a boat. I get to be on a boat. (laughs) I thought this would never happen. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Not intentional, but. That's very good. No. This has been a gurgly episode, huh? Yeah, everybody just gurgling it up. We got our, do we make like little side characters for our tummies? Is this the plan from here on out? Because I'm in. It's like we're doing a Foley for the movie Labyrinth. <laughs> like, can I just say, Max, your crone voice is so fun. <laughs> Thank you. And then like, it just, it just, it makes me want to, it makes me want to record all of us as a coven. Mm. Ooh, coven game would be very fun. Do we add it to the pile of spinoff things like cat gang? And which yeah. Oh, can I can I reimprise the septic witch? Yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> yes, you can. Oh no, please. her name was Septica the sewer witch, something like that. Oh, Septica Ulcera, like we're <laughs> we're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A very crony episode, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. Crones and groans. That was it. Crones and groans. <laughs> Coven, uh, wh- covens and gloven, glove, glove, <laughs> glove. Gluggins. Gluggins. So Max, what was your what was your highlight for this episode? My highlight for this episode was the group poetry. That mm. was so much fun. Mm. I thought it was super funny and a really good idea and uh like fun and mysterious and a little revealing and I fucking love it. Rest in peace, crab friend. Oh, by Lemmy. Me crab. You're, <laughs> you're back with the foam now. <laughs> Dana I, I must say, I knew what was coming for Penny for a little while. Uh, I did not know how the party was going to react to it. And everything like Iavos has done has just like stabbed me in my fucking heart. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's a good hurt, but it's like, oh my God. And so that's been um, really, really real for me. So I have to, I have to talk about that. I'm in a similar boat, like getting to really milk some like emotion out of the character and explore the feelings of how things have changed. Uh, that's very good. It's, it's, it adds to the linearness of the story in a way that is the architecture of the ongoing tale. And I'm, I'm excited to explore that. Right. Yeah. And like in, in its own small way, like something changed recently that will never be the same again. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the lack of closure also is like quite the sting. And I, I appreciate that for sure. Y'all did fucking amazing, and I'm very happy to be here. I'm sad that Gaspar is not with us. Uh, Angelo came down with the COVID uh, recently, and so he's in recovery. We wish him a speedy one, and hopefully he will be here for the next recording. And if not, fuck. <laughs> he's with us in our hearts. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, the thing is, with with the way that he kind of mysteriously exited, we, we hope very much that he's back for the next one, but he could be gone for any amount of time. True. As long as, yeah, as long as that ties in. I also actually, it's funny, I actually had this planned for him. Not necessarily this specific moment for him to disappear. I actually had a plan for him to disappear at some point anyway. Oh, shit. And I'm like, well, this is a great time for it. Yeah, or never. <laughs> right. I want to thank our uh, editor, editor, head, uh, I want to thank Hedegar the editor for editing this episode. We did it. The editor. It's another long one, but uh, he, he's been a real champ about it. He also got ahead uh, on episodes for us for some stuff that we had planned. So it's really appreciated. 
I also really want to thank Brie Golden for uh, doing our maps. Uh, you can find more information about her uh, at uh, goldenstylist.com. You already know everything else. We love you and we appreciate you being here. And until next time, we wish you luck. <laughs> <laughs>